This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, truly great is your faithfulness, and we praise you and worship you and glorify you for that this morning. And Father, now we call on your faithfulness again, as you have promised us in your word to to grow us and teach us, to illuminate our, our hearts and our minds, open our eyes and ears, to see again how faithful you are, to see more how faithful you are. Father, I pray that you would again be faithful to teach us of your mercy and your grace and your power and your authority and of Jesus our Savior. And Father, it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. We're going to continue our series on hymns this morning again. And I I want to remind you that the reason we're doing this is not to make sure we don't have any young people in our congregation. That's not why we're doing a series on hymns. Now, if you'll remember, the reason we're doing this is because God created us to interact with music differently than he uh, created us to interact with other forms of communication. As I said the first week, music allows us to keep the theology that we learn on Sunday for Monday. Uh, In other words, God made music to be like tape for our souls. It's sticky. Uh, Music can stick things to us, thoughts and ideas that, that regular communication might not. Let me show you what I'm talking about by a simple exercise. Um... If I were to ask you to repeat verbatim, word for word, something you learned in high school or college, maybe a couple of you might be able to say one or two things, but I doubt it, even if you're still in high school. But watch what happens when we introduce music to the idea of memory retention. I'll start with my generation. Your job is to finish the sentence or the line. I need you to play along here. Vanilla ice, ice. There you go. Ice, ice. All right, stop, collaborate, and ice is back with a brand new. Oh, wow, you guys are good. See, you did learn something. But the same thing works, even if we go back, like, all the way to medieval times. Yeah, this, this is... This is for those of you who, who eat dinner before 4 p.m. And keep your teeth in a cup. Yes, we are all headed that direction, aren't we? Yesterday, all my troubles. Okay, good. Now it looks as though they're... I believe. Good job. Now, how can you remember that? That was like 150 years ago. It's because God made it sticky. God made music sticky. But more importantly, the same thing goes for music when we talk about theology. Everyone can participate in this one. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like whatever my lot thou, it is well. God created music to be sticky, to stick stuff like that to us on Sunday so we can have it for the rest of the week. 
It helps us memorize anything, which is why I said we need to be careful what theology we have in our worship music. In fact, I would say this. If you don't like rap, you don't like the Bible. Because originally, before they were all written down by Moses, the first five books of the Bible were basically a form of Hebrew rap. There's a rhythm to the Hebrew because it was maintained orally. And you can hear it if you listen to it. If you listen to the Pentateuch in written form, you can hear this rhythm to it because it was kept orally. However, in addition to just simple memory retention, there's something deeper that God has designed music for, specifically when it comes to worship. God has designed music, especially in the context of worship, not only to stick theology to our souls, but to help us interact and encourage and witness to each other. Let me give you an example from Scripture. In Revelation chapter 5, John describes this scene in heaven where everyone is deeply saddened because there's no one qualified to open this scroll. And this scroll basically represents God's plan of redemption. But because no one's qualified to open it, God's plan of redemption can't be fulfilled. That's why everybody is sad. But then one of the elders tells John that he can stop weeping because the Lion of Judah has conquered. And when John looked up, he described what he saw in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. He said, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So we're talking about Jesus. With seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he goes on to describe how the lamb was qualified to open this scroll. But when the lamb opened the scroll... John says that the four living creatures and the 24 elders that are directly around the throne fell down before the Lamb and worshipped. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, he says that they sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed your people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. But watch this. Then John describes how then he heard the voice of many angels, numbering ten thousand of ten thousands, joining in with a loud voice and singing in verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But it didn't stop there. Next, John says in Revelation chapter 5 verse 13, he says, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So what I want you to feel as much as here is this tidal wave of worship radiating out from the throne of God. As Christ is presented worthy to open up and fulfill God's plan of redemption. Now, what does that have to do with our study on hymns? Well, what we're reading is a description of multitudes in heaven witnessing to each other. The worship of each group is inspiring the next to join in. Until the whole inspires itself. It's, it's like the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6 who are calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's, it's, it's as if one group, overwhelmed by the glory of God, cries out, look how worthy he is. And that cry inspires the next group to say, you know what, they're right, look how worthy he is. And then the next group says, look how worthy he is. And it just goes on and on and on throughout eternity. 
until the whole is inspiring itself. But here's the thing. We don't have to wait for heaven to experience this. We can experience this, this inspiration and encouragement of each other right here and now in worship. For example, you're in worship. Maybe you're not feeling it. Maybe you are, but, but then you notice someone. You see someone crying, or maybe you see someone raise their hands, or maybe you see someone clapping, or maybe you just hear the volume of someone else's voice, and then what happens? You think, wow, that person really can't sing. No, but, well, maybe you do think that, but even if you do, what happens is, is there's this little spark of lightning in your soul that says, I want that. I need that. And you're inspired to join them in their worship. So, so here's what's going on when this happens. What's happening is the Holy Spirit is testifying or witnessing to you through another person. He is agreeing with the worship of one person. And then he's communicating that agreement with you by calling and drawing you to join in. He's using them to witness to you to spur you on to better worship. And we're going to see this principle very clearly this morning because not only is the hymn that we're studying uh, probably one of the top two most famous hymns ever sung today, but it is probably one of the best examples of how the call and response of worship works. Because the writer of this hymn was called to worship, not by another person, but by nature. But his worship is so pure and so simple that, that it continues to witness and inspire others even centuries later. So before we get there, to, to get your mindset right, I need to, to describe to you how this hymn came about. And to do that, I want you to picture a time you were outside. Maybe you're on a walk. Maybe you're sitting on your patio or deck or something like that, but you're outside. It's humid, but it's not raining. But you can smell the ozone in the air. And then simultaneously, there is a blinding flash of light and a massive boom and then just heat and, and energy that radiates through your body. And then immediately following that, there is the high-pitched scream of a full-grown man running for cover. You guys have experienced this, I'm sure. What happens to everyone when they experience lightning up close? It doesn't matter who you are. Instinctively, you duck your head and you start looking for somewhere to hide. But listen, there's a deeper reason for that reflex. What happens is you found yourself in the presence of power and energy that is so clearly beyond you that you want to hide from it because it's terrifying. Now imagine that boom and that light and that heat and that energy wasn't over in an instant, but instead grew and grew and grew and became hotter and became louder and became hotter and became louder. You see, experiences like being close to a lightning strike, they give us an, an, a tiny little glimpse of what it will be like to be in the presence of God. So we act accordingly. We want to hide. Well, in 1885, Carl Boberg, a Swedish preacher was walking home in the town of Monstras, Sweden, and he got caught in a really bad lightning storm. He described later how the thunderclap shook his body and sent him running for, in a panic for shelter. But when he finally made it to the safety of his home, 
he described how that event had stirred something in him, and he sat down and wrote a hymn called O Stor Good. You got to get your Swedish on there. O Stor Good. Or we know it today as How Great Thou Art. Listen closely to the first stanza of this hymn because it's, it's as if you can see the flash of the lightning and feel the thunder. You can feel the greatness of it. Listen to this first stanza. He says, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. One recent evening, I was having a conversation in my backyard with a young man from England, and he had asked me what I do, and I explained to him that I was a pastor, and, and then later he asked me a question. He says, so what do you think about God? And I said, well, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, what do you think? Is God all-powerful, and what does that mean about things that happen that are bad? And, and he asked some other questions, and so I said, you know, one quick thing, when he asked that question, he looked up. He said, you know into the night sky. He said, you know, like, is God all powerful or, 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 or is, is he not? It's an interesting question. I told him, I said, you know, it's interesting that you looked up at the stars when you asked what I thought about God. I said, because it's, that's exactly what the Bible says. The stars are for is to answer your question. The Bible says that the entire purpose of the universe is so that no matter how deep we are able to peer into space, man will do nothing but just say, wow. I said, God created the universe to answer your question, and he created you to instinctively look up when you ask what I think about God. That's exactly what Boberg is describing in the first lines of this stanza. Mankind is supposed to look up into the sky and have nothing to say but, wow, God is big. But there's more to it than that. It's more than just a ooh and an awe like a fireworks show. It's the, it's the other part of wowness that comes with recognizing God's bigness. Because nature is not only intended to display God's bigness to us. That wonder and awe at God's bigness is intended to be accompanied by something else. You know that fear you feel, that, that instinctive Ducking and running for cover when thunder and lightning gets close. That's exactly what we're supposed to do because our response to God's bigness is supposed to be accompanied by our fear and reverence of his power and authority. In fact, when scripture speaks of thunder and lightning, it's always in the context of not just God's power, but his authority and judgment. Listen for that language from these passages. In Psalm chapter 50, verses 3 through 6, David says this, Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is a judge. And when we think about the, the terrifying authority of God, I can't help but think of Job being rebuked by one of his better friends named Elihu. Job had been questioning God for about 30 chapters until Elihu stepped in to, to, to speak some truth. And speaking of God's authority and power, Elihu said this in Job chapter 36, verse 29. 
He said, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he, scattered his light, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars, he thunders with the, his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Thunder and lightning are intended to remind us of God's voice, the power and the authority in his, in his very, very, very sound. This hymn perfectly captures the, the proper call and response that is supposed to take place between us and creation. We're supposed to look up into the sky and be awed by the universe. We're supposed to hear and feel the strike of lightning and the roar of thunder. And, and with a bit of terror, with our heads ducked for cover and a little quiver in our voice, we're supposed to proclaim, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. But something else happened on that day in Monstrous when, when Carl ran for cover. When it was over, he began to wonder about something else. He began to wonder what it was going to be like in the actual presence of God. When just a shadow of him in this lightning storm caused him to run in fear. He began to wonder what it was going to be like to stand before that perfectly holy God. Knowing that he was a sinner. Yes, how great thou art, O Lord, but now he thought how great I'm not. Now that greatness that he had just wrote about, it landed on him like a terrible weight of conviction and fear. But when the, when the storm finally subsided, Carl opened his windows to let in some fresh air and, and he was surprised by what he heard. You see, it struck him that a few minutes ago he was terrified. He was, he was thinking about the greatness and the power and the authority of our God being displayed in this lightning storm that he was caught in. But now, just a few moments later, the birds were singing. You could hear people walking around, you know, talking and laughing. The bells of the church were ringing. It was this, this, this amazing picture of, of serenity and peace. And he wondered, how can things be so different so quickly? And again, he was so amazed by this simple display of truth that he wrote another stanza to the hymn we're singing this morning. And, and this is what I mean when I said that, that music allows us to witness to each other. Allow a man named Carl from 200 years ago to witness to your soul, to inspire your soul today when he can't contain himself when he thinks about the blood of Christ. Because what happened was the peace and the serenity that followed such a violent storm it reminded Carl about something far more amazing and far more awesome than the stars and the lightning. It reminded him of his salvation. And he wrote, And when I think that that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. 
that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And as that stanza flowed out of him, as he thought about the majesty and the sacrifice of of the God who made the universe dying for him on the cross, it's as if he couldn't contain himself. And he had to repeat again, Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, How great thou art. How great thou art. David actually spoke of this same sentiment in the Psalms. Picture David. Maybe he's out in the pasture looking up at the sky, or maybe he's on the roof of his palace looking up at the sky. But either way, he's looking at the stars. And thousands of years before Carl Boberg in Sweden, David had the exact same thought that led him to the exact same conclusion. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, we read this this morning. David wrote, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, literally, that means finger work. You could think of it as needlepoint. David is, is, is accurately describing the creation of however many zillions of light years of space we know of. He's calling that just little fine needlepoint for God. And he asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the writer of Hebrews tells us that David was talking about the same salvation that that Boberg was. But where did that leave David? It led him to the exact same place as as Boberg. At the end of this psalm, we read this morning in verse 9, David said, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It is good and it is right for men and words and music like this to witness to us and inspire us to join them in their praise. Just like this has been doing for hundreds of years. But Carl's not done yet. He began to put all this together. And he wondered, what's it going to be like to see God now that I've been saved by grace through, through faith? Surely God isn't any less frightening, but... But now I don't have to fear judgment. Certainly God is no less holy, but now I've been made righteous by the blood of, by the blood of Jesus. And now Carl found himself struck not just by the greatness of God, but in addition to that, his eager desire to stand face to face with him. You can see it turn the corner. At the top, it's this thunder and, and stars and greatness of God. And then at the end of this hymn, his eager desire to stand in front of that God because of the blood of Christ in the middle. Listen to this last stanza. He said, Then Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and lead me home. He says, Now what joy will fill my heart? Then I shall bow now with humble adoration and all the more proclaim, My God, how great thou art. Everything about this scenario, it drew Carl to God and his greatness and his authority and his mercy and his grace and then his desire to stand before him. And he's calling us in this room to the same thing, to see it, to want it. I trust right now even that the Holy Spirit is witnessing and inspiring you guys to, 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 to join Carl in singing these things to, to, to sing praise because of the wonder and the authority and the grace and the mercy of God. But before we do that, let me give you an example of, 
of how this hymn preserves this theology for the weak. I think what happened to Carl is something that, that, that happens to all of us. I think Carl had become distracted because he's a human. His thoughts and his focus, his gaze had become distracted. He had been distracted from God by the duties and the busyness and the cares of this world. This happens to all of us. The world gets big. It gets menacing. It gets overwhelming. There are so many things that need to be done and so many places we need to go. There, there are so many things that clamor for our attention. There are so many things that seem to threaten us. Issues with our family, circumstances at work or, or in marriages. And on top of that all, there are so many ways that we fail in the shadow of, of the mountain of the world's bigness. Ultimately, when that happens, what's happening is we become more and more absorbed with ourselves. Our sphere of awareness, it shrinks closer and closer to ourselves and how things will affect us and how we will affect others. And all of a sudden, the universe is orbiting around us. And then we get caught in a terrible lightning storm. And we're reminded that there is someone much bigger, much more worthy of, of having our focus and our gaze. In Carl's case, the, the terrifying experience of a, of a lightning storm, storm, it served to shake him out of this, this distraction and restore his gaze. Not only to where it should have been, but listen, it restored his gaze to where he would find safety and security and hope and peace. It was the terrifying nature, listen, it's the terrifying nature of God that gives us peace. My call to you this morning is this. Allow God to distract you from yourself and the cares of this world. Allow this hymn to draw you into spending less time thinking about yourself and more time thinking about how great thou art. In other words, just like Carl, allow yourself to be thrust into the presence and the greatness and the mercy and the glory of God and watch what happens. Think about his power and his authority this week and watch as the fears and the anxieties you have fade in the presence of his greatness. Think about his love and mercy and grace and watch as your shame and your failure have no other choice but to dissolve in the presence of the cross. And if you are my brother and sister in Christ, imagine the day you get to stand face to face with him. Think about the day you will humbly bow in adoration. And watch as the glory that this world has to offer fades to nothing. As you long for that day when you will stand before the throne in heaven with multitudes of other people singing and proclaiming, my God, how great thou art. Allow Carl to witness to you this morning of the greatness of God and allow yourself to be drawn into that God glorifying praise of his authority and his mercy and grace. What I want to do is is stand and let's make this song our prayer.